Our first scripture reading this morning is from the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel, found on page 248 of the Old Testament of your Pew Bible. Samuel 1, verse, chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I've rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or in the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinabat, Abinadab, something like that, I'm sorry, and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass by Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all of your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. From the Epistle to the Ephesians, the fifth chapter, beginning with the eighth verse. Once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what's pleasing to the Lord and take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Rather expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly, but everything exposed by light becomes visible. For everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, sleeper, awake. Ooh, that worked, a couple of you said, but... Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. This is the word of the Lord. Will you join your hearts with me in prayer? Grant us ears to hear your word alone, for you have the words of eternal life. All that is not of your word, may it quickly dissipate and be forgotten. Instead, may your word to us cling to our hearts 
and make us new. In Christ's name, amen. Years ago, I served as director of chaplaincy for the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago, which is now the Shirley Ryan Ability Labs. And I made a promise to myself when I left that position that I would never again dismiss somebody who appeared to be limited in their physical abilities. The great thing about working in rehab medicine is you get to watch firsthand people transform. We've got some physical therapists in this congregation and some nurses who know exactly what I'm talking about. Patients arrive, some of them unable to even sit up in their beds, and months later they leave with profoundly new created abilities. Most did not go home with the full restoration of their bodies uh, to their former condition. Some did, but most did not. But nearly everyone who left, left stronger, more stable, more mobile than they had arrived. Seeing someone progress from absolute immobility to taking a few faltering steps is nothing short of miraculous but the consequence of phenomenally hard work. So from that time forward, I promised myself that whenever I saw someone with a walker or a brace or a wheelchair or unsteadily with two canes or operating a motorized scooter, to think even though they may appear unstable and incomplete, you have no idea how grateful they are to have made it to that level of mobility. You have no idea how hard they worked to get where they are. What we perceive as faltering and hesitant and awkward or inadequate may be the culmination of months of therapy and years of persistent hard work. The individual who you quickly judge as perhaps lazy or non-productive or in my way may actually be very proud that they can move at all. On the other hand, if an individual has a degenerative condition, they may be grateful for what they have today because they are well aware that tomorrow things may be crushingly worse. My sad confession is that the illumination that I had as a chaplain way back when I worked with the disabled, that illumination of respect seems to have gradually faded. And all too quickly, I judge. Why is it that that seemingly able-bodied person is using an electric scooter grocery cart in the store? Clearly, they're lazy. Why doesn't she just straighten up and walk like a normal person? What on earth does he think that he's doing parking in a handicapped zone? Most of what we see in other individuals is a momentary snapshot of who they are right then and there. You don't know the story that precedes. You don't know the circumstance that follows. And from that moment, that flash moment, we decide that we judge the entire narrative of who they are and where they've been and what they're doing. If they do not live up to our standards, our expectations, we all too easily just dismiss them as defective, inadequate, damaged, and particularly in the grocery store, in my way. 
More than that, if somebody disagrees with my insight into a particular issue or circumstance, I conclude in a logical flash that they are idiots. <laughs> At best, misguided and possibly evil. On the other hand, when it comes to me, I've got a whole bucket of justifications to limitations. I know why I am the way I am and how I got here. I have an occasional limp, as some of you have noticed. From time to time, my knees hurt. Never mind my borderline obesity, I suffer from rheumatoid arthritis. So on mornings like this, when they are very cold, I deserve the right to walk a little weird. Besides, I had knee surgery a few years back, and the lingering pain from a repaired meniscus certainly gives me the right to a little twinge. Don't judge me! Samuel, the prophet-priest, was told by God to quit lingering over the glory days of Saul. Saul was Samuel's first project. When he was promoted, Samuel, from judge to priest. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 9 how Saul was the best-looking guy in all Israel. It actually says that, and Saul was the most handsome man in all Israel. He Not only that, he was tall. He was head and shoulders above the rest of the country. Tall, dark, and handsome. Samuel said, now that's a king. But years move on, and Saul made some decisions that ended up destabilizing the nation. He used official power for personal gain. That never happens today. And God moved on from Saul. And he told Samuel, it's time to move on too. As Rebecca just read, Samuel set out to find the nation's next potentate, an unlikely family, an unlikely son. But it turns out that David was the guy. And Samuel's prejudice as to what kings were supposed to look like had to be set aside. He was a ruddy little kid. And of course, the whole process of kingly selection contains that great verse in that passage that Rebecca read. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him, it was said of his brother. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. In an epistle lesson in which Paul tells the Ephesians that they were once dark and now they are light, they should walk as children of light. And so we are challenged to be. Except we tend to radiate our light in ways that bring glory and honor to ourselves, and not necessarily the same respect to others. No, we see our light as some sort of special power to just go around and illuminate the faults and failures of everybody else. We treat our God-given capacity of discernment as if we were the Orkin man with our flashlight and finding out that the world is full of termites. We forget what Jesus said to Nicodemus just a few weeks ago. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now that may be the case about Jesus, but clearly... God has left to me the responsibility of condemnation. Jesus came to save. That means there's work left for me to do. And then I wonder why I end up so anxious. 
so frustrated, so irritable. And when I'm on Danny's last nerve so very much all alone. And I can think of no better story to illustrate today's theme about light and about darkness, about seeing and about blindness, than the gospel lesson that was prescribed for today. And so I've saved it to tell you our gospel lesson from the gospel according to John, the ninth chapter. I want you to grab your story rugs and come on up here to the front. I want you to get your squishmallow pillow. And let me read to you. I'll be reading from Eugene Peterson's The Message. Walking down the street, Jesus saw a man who had been blind from birth. His disciples said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, causing him to be born blind? Jesus said, you, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for somebody to blame. There is no such cause and effect here. Look instead to what God can do. We need to energetically work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun is still shining. When night falls, the workday will be over. For as long as I am in the world, there's plenty of light. I'm the light of the world. He said this, and then spit in the dust, and made a clay paste with the saliva and rubbed the paste on the blind man's eyes and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Uh, the word Siloam means scent. The man went and washed and saw. Soon the town was buzzing. His relatives and those who year after year after year had seen him blind and begging were saying, why... Isn't this the man we knew who sat here and begged? Others said, it's him all right. But others objected, no, it's not the same man. It just looks like him. He said, no, no, it, it is me. I, I'm, I'm the guy. They said, well, how were your eyes open? A man named Jesus made this paste and rubbed it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. I did what he said. When I washed, I saw. So where is he? They asked. They marched the man to the Pharisees. The day when Jesus made the paste with the mud and healed his blindness, it was the Sabbath. The Pharisees grilled the man again. How had you come to see? He said, he put paste on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, obviously this man can't be from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. Others counted, how can a bad man do miraculous things? God is clearly revealed in stuff like this. There was a split in their ranks. They came back to the blind man. You're the expert. He opened your eyes. What do you say about him? He said, uh, he's a prophet. The Jews didn't believe it. Didn't believe the man was blind to begin with. So they called his parents in. The man now bright-eyed with sight was told to bring his parents before the Pharisees. They asked the parents, is this your son? The one who you <laughs> say was born blind. How is it that he now sees? His parents said, we know he's our son, 
And we know he was born blind, but we don't know how he came to see. We haven't a clue who opened his eyes. Why don't you just ask him? He's a grown man. He can speak for himself. His parents were talking like this because they were intimidated by their Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who took a stand that Jesus was the Messiah would be kicked out of the meeting place. That's why his parents said, you ask him, he's a grown man. They called the man back a second time. The man who had been born blind and told him, give credit to God, we know this man is an imposter. The man replied, I know nothing about this one way or the other, but I know one thing for sure. I was blind. Now I see. He said, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He said, I've told you over and over and you haven't listened. Why do you want to hear it again? Are you eager to become his disciples? With that, they jumped all over him. You might be a disciple of that man, but we are disciples of Moses. We know for sure that God spoke to Moses, but we have no idea where this man even comes from. The man replied, well, that's amazing. You claim to know nothing about him, but in fact, he's opened my eyes. It's well known that God is not at the beck and call of sinners, but listens carefully to anyone who lives in reverence and does his will. That someone opened the eyes of a man born blind has never been heard of, ever. If this man didn't come from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. They said, you are nothing but dirt. How dare you take that tone with us? And they threw him out into the street. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out into the street and went out and found him. And he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man said, point him out to me, sir, and I can believe in him. Jesus said, you're, you're looking at him. Don't you recognize my voice? Master, I believe, said the man, and worshiped Jesus. Jesus then said, I came in the world to bring everything into the clear light of day, making all distinctions clear, so that those who have never seen will see. Those who made the great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. Some of the Pharisees overheard him and said, Does that mean you're calling us blind? Jesus said, If you were really blind, you'd be blameless. But since you claim to see everything so well, you are accountable for every one of your own faults and failures. So later on today, you and I will come across somebody who we perceive to be defective. What's your flash judgment? What's my flash judgment? Are they clearly the product of bad choices, evil decisions, inadequate advantages, dysfunctional parents? Do we shine the light of our wisdom looking for their underlying flaws? Or do we see an opportunity to glorify God? Remember, the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Gospel of the Lord. Amen. Please stand and for our confession, let us speak the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty.
heaven and earth. And in Jesus Virgin Mary, suffered Pontius Pilate, was crucified.